You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. So, good morning, by the way. If you don't know me, I'm Tom. I'm the uh, pastor here, uh, one of the leaders. It's great to have you here this morning. Um, the symbol that you can see on your screen is called the Chi Rho. Um, it's a symbolic version of the first two letters in Greek of the word Christos. Okay, and the, the word Christos in Greek is underneath it. Pronounce it? Christos. <laughs> well, um, the, the Cairo. <laughs> the Cairo. So the Chi is the X and the Rho is the P. Cairo, the CH. Um, now, Christos is the word used in Greek to translate the Hebrew word Messiah. Okay, and, and if you know a little bit about your Bibles, you know that there's been this expectancy for Messiah in, in the Jewish world, in the Hebrew world at this point. Now, you can legitimately call Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, or you can call him Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. It means effectively the same thing. Uh, and what you're saying now, if you are saying Jesus Christ, not as a cuss word, but as a declaration, what you're saying is you recognise that Jesus is the anticipated one. That, that he is the sent one, that he is the one whom the nation of Hebrews had been expecting. And in fact, he's the one they're still expecting. They just won't see that he's already there. Because they are still expecting Messiah to come. He's the one of whom the prophecies are written in the Old Testament. And he's also the one in whom those same prophecies are fulfilled. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this Jesus, of whom the Bible reliably reveals is the Messiah, the Christos, uh, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Uh, and as we do this, I invite you to ask, so what? It might seem like a flippant question, so what? But what does this mean for you? What does this mean how does it impact your life? How does this impact your lifestyle? If Jesus is the one who was, who is, and who is to come, so what does that mean for your faith, your commitments, your, your family, your social lives, and for the lives of your family and friends? What does this mean if Jesus is the one who was, who is, and who is to come? And today we're going to begin by just looking at the one who was the pre-existent, pre-incarnate Christ. Pre-existent, it means he, he existed before things existed. And then pre-incarnate means he existed before he became flesh, incarnate in flesh. There, there's such significant importance in this. And an error and miscommunication here can lead to the complete unravelling of our effective saving <coughs> faith. That's how important this thing is. As Christians, as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, Messiah, we, we believe that Jesus was not merely a man, albeit a wise man, or perhaps even the wisest man, 
He wasn't purely a teacher. He wasn't purely a healer. He wasn't purely a great prophet. He is God. But at the same time as being fully man, he is also fully God. And while he was born as a man, only around about 2,000 years back, he's always existed as God. As part of the Godhead, that is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now this is a massive, very difficult to explain mystery. And you probably heard a range of analogies to try and explain the Trinity. And you may have had people come at you and say, well, the word Trinity doesn't even appear in Scripture. But the concept of Trinity is very clearly there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into that specifically today, because all the analogies that you may have heard about it will fall down at some point and fail to really delve into the mystery of the one who is three and one. There are many things that we can disagree on between ourselves, between denominations, between schools of thought within Christianity. In practice, Maybe an interpretation and an understanding, but this we absolutely must agree on. You, you cannot say, and I, I want to say this with love, but you cannot say that you are a Christian and deny that Jesus, the Christ, is fully God and fully man. It's impossible. It, it, I, I can't think of a thing to say it's like saying this. But you, you can't say that you're a Christian and not believe that Jesus is the Christ who is fully God and fully man. It's just, it just doesn't work. That is the bedrock. The absolute bedrock. But there's a famous and widespread heresy. I'm still in my intro at the minute, so I'll pick this up a bit. There's a famous and a widespread heresy that is at the same time quite obvious, but also cunningly subtle and deceptive. And it completely denies the deity of Christ, the godliness, the godness, actually, of Christ. And therefore, it nullifies the, the saving or restorative impact of the work of the cross. It completely nullifies it. In fact, it's worse than that. This heresy relegates the crucifixion, the painful death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Messiah to the ranks of some sort of mystical party trick. That's what this heresy does. And the main heresy denying the divinity of Christ is called Arianism. Just know that. And it, by the way, that's got nothing to do with Nazi Germany. Okay, the Aryan race there. It's called Arianism, and it originated with an Alexandrian priest called Arius. That's hence the name Arianism, in about the 3rd century, okay, well, in the 3rd century. Arianism maintained that the Son of God was created by the Father. Okay, created by the Father, and was therefore neither co-eternal, because he was created, uh, or consubstantial, in other words, the same substance with the Father. Now, this is really important to grasp. I know this is quite a mind-burner today, but... Because there are people out there who would claim that Jesus was just a created being. That, that he was created by Father God and therefore subordinate to God. That he's like an angel. That, that he's like a God, not the God. That Jesus was small G, God. Like some kind of superhero human who was just a teacher or a prophet or a great example to follow. There's no saving 
in, in that. There's, there's no power. If Jesus is just a really wise person who said some great things, and yeah, if we all apply that, the world would be a better place. Lovely, but there's no saving power in that. Your eternal situation is not changed one bit. Among those who ascribe to this area of doctrinal system are those Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not calling them out to shame them today. I'm calling them out so that you know who they are. So Jehovah's Witnesses, um, because it holds that Jesus uh, is a God, and, and I've been told by Jehovah's Witnesses in the same way that you're a God, you know, with a small g, that, that we're created in God's image, therefore we're like gods. And, and Jesus was the same. He was a God. He was, he was actually like a big, amazing angel, but he's not God. Another uh, that says that is the Latter-day Saints. Jesus was created. The Christadelphians, same thing. And interestingly, and you might not have known this, that Islam is rooted in Arianism. Because Islam, actually in Islam, they, they believe in Jesus, or not in Jesus, but they believe that Jesus existed. Uh, they, they call him Isa. Okay, I-S-A, Isa. They call Jesus Isa. They recognise him as a prophet. They recognise him as almost as great as Muhammad. But you see the problem there. Jesus, the one who is God. And they're saying, yeah, he's almost as good as Muhammad. Uh, don't hate these people for this. Love them. Love them even in their error. But be aware of their error. Because these are hard-working, committed, even sincere people. And, and some of them would even claim to be Christians. But let me tell you this, they are sincere but they are sincerely wrong. And it is so important. It's so important that a view of Jesus that denies that he is part of the Godhead means that there is no way to be saved. That's how important this is. And you can't be saved through Mary either. You know, she, she isn't the queen of heaven. She's, I, I revere Mary. I think she was an amazing woman. And God chose her to, to bear the word in flesh. But she's still a human being. She was not sinless. So, Jesus is Messiah, and the evidence is actually overwhelming. Um, he's not created, but he is the creator. And so to show you this clearly, we're going to hover in the first chapter of John's Gospel today, uh, but we're also going to whistle-stop Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. Real whistle-stops, okay? So go to John 1 if you've got your Bibles. It will come up here as well. Now, John's Gospel, very quickly, I find this quite a remarkable account for several reasons. And the first reason is because he was, an, he was a first-hand witness. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. In fact, he, he talks through his whole Gospel of this disciple whom Jesus loved. And then reveals at the end of his gospel, by the way guys, that's me. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's amazing, because this is the guy. Now he's not saying, hey, Jesus didn't love the other disciples, I'm his favourite. You know, but he's, he had a position where, where at the meals he would recline on Jesus, because they didn't sit down in chairs with their feet tucked under the table like we do. They, they sort of reclined on their sides with their feet up, and, and then John would sit next to Jesus, that was his place in the meals, and he would recline upon Jesus, and he, he had the ear of Jesus, they would talk to each other. So we're not relying on an external source here, we're relying on John's eyewitness account, and that means a lot. 
He's kind of trying to remain anonymous through his gospel. Do you see that? Referring to himself as the one Jesus loves. You could take that to mean that he was like, yeah, maybe guys, I'm the best. But I think it's this, because he, he also says about decreasing and increasing. And, and here's the thing here. I think he wanted to decrease and let Jesus increase. He didn't want to, you to read the whole gospel and think, oh, that's John, the one that he loves. He, he wants you to get to the end and then realise, actually, that's him. Because what he does at the beginning is he gives you the punchline. And that's the most impressive thing about this. He leaves himself almost anonymous throughout and reveals it at the end. But the one that he wants to reveal to you, the one that he wants to increase, he brings right up to the very beginning of the gospel and asks this question, who is this? <laughs> you think that knowing the punchline might detract from the story. You know, somebody joked with me once, I was going to go see the Titanic, and they said, I'll tell you in the end, it sinks. <laughs> this is like, haha. But isn't it frustrating when, when you, you are going to go watch a film and somebody will just talk you all the way through it and say, oh, this bit's great because... And it's, you just want to punch one of those. Or something like that. John gets straight into the punchline, but it doesn't detract. It enhances. Because he wants you to read this entire account knowing who this person is, who he's writing about. Not just knowing that he was a great teacher, a great man, a great prophet, a wise person, or anything like that. He wants you to know something a lot deeper than that. So, this is what he opens. This is his opening gambit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you can bear with me for a few minutes, I just want to dissect a few of those words um, and unpack them a little bit, because this was not written by John in English, this was written in Greek. And it was written, you know, a short period of time in John's lifetime after Jesus died. So it's quite close to the event. <coughs> And I think we need to be precise about who Jesus is and what he is, because it's the absolute bedrock of our faith and our salvation. It's not just dogmatics that I'm going to go through here. It's of paramount importance. Jesus has to be, are you getting this? Jesus has to be part of the Godhead, fully God and fully man, in order for the cross and the resurrection to be sufficient, effective, or even achievable. Has to be. Now, I'm not going to start with the obvious. Because where everyone seems to go when they get to this passage is they go to word. That's the obvious. And some of you might know what the Greek word is there. And we'll, we'll come to that. But I'm not going to start there. What we're going to start might seem like a mundane kind of connected couple of words. But they're fairly packed. And so the first word is what we translate as was. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Now, this is a Greek word, which is like ain or aimi, okay? Uh, two different versions of that word. Uh, it's the word that, in Greek, says was. And it could mean this, in this grammatical context. It could mean, or it does mean, always existing. That's really clear. There's, there's no other way to read the Greek here. So if we were directly translating the Greek here, using that grammatical information, we would say, in the beginning, always existing, 
The Word was the Word. Uh, and the Word uh, was always existing with God, and the Word always existing was God. He was always existing with God in the beginning. I mean, that's a big point that, can you see that? He's making a massive point here. We just don't see it as clearly. It's still pretty clear in English. But it's even more clear if we say always existing. In other words, not created, just there. And there's only one substance that I, I know scientifically in my rational head or otherwise that could, could be eternal. It has to be God because everything else needs a beginning. Everything else needs somebody to put it into place. And a Big Bang, where from? <laughs> However, in verse 3 you see it says, uh, it says was, again in verse 3, so in him was, uh, sorry, no, uh, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Now that's an addition, that word was isn't in there, so that all, uh, always existing thing doesn't live in verse 3. Okay, verse 3 should say, uh, or it should just say made, uh, through him all things were made, without him nothing made. Now, this will make more sense in a second, because the next word is made, which is genomai, uh, and that means brought into being, or created being. And so, we can read verse 3 in this way. Through him, all things were brought into created being. Without him, nothing was brought into created being that has been brought into created being. So, if the first couple of verses are pretty obvious, about Jesus being eternal. This digs that point in a bit further and says, nothing that has been brought into created being has been brought into created being without him bringing it into created being. How could he bring himself into created being? This clearly says here, the Father did not bring Jesus into created being because Jesus brought everything into created being as part of the Godhead. Right here in the original language, it absolutely destroys the argument that Jesus was just a good man, or a prophet, or some kind of demi-god. And then we go to the word that we translate as word. <laughs> okay, it's kind of tricky to say that, the word word. Uh, so I'm going to refer to the word in its Greek uh, as logos. Okay, now, just pop your hands up if you've heard that word before. Good. So most of you have heard the word logos before. Um, Pronunciation-wise, I've heard people say logos, logos. I'm going to go with logos on it. Um, now, John Piper, when preaching through these verses, asks the question, why use logos as the word to describe Christ? Why, why not use light, as he does in the next couple of verses, or, or truth, which he does. You know, you could say, in, in the beginning was the light, and the light was with God, and the light was God. Or you could say, in the beginning was the truth, and the truth was with God, and the truth was God. But he doesn't, he says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Why Logos? And I think that amongst the various answers is that the word logos means so much more than our simple translation into the English word, word. Okay? Logos means more. It can mean message. Wow. You see that? That in the beginning was the message of God. 
Communication. Logos. Communication. And it can even mean intention. The logos. It can mean the mind. It can mean the, 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 the real life thinking. And so we're going to look in a minute at one of the really early indicators of God's intentions. The logos intention. Uh, but first, we're going to go further back and we're just going to have a look at Genesis because there's something else. It, John wants to really underline this. You know when you find something you want to emphasise? And, and in my notes where I want to make sure that I say something clearly, I'll make it red, I'll underline it, I'll put it in capitals or I'll put millions of exclamation marks after it or stars and asterisks around it or something to say, this is really important. So, so John... He, he says in, in his grammar that Jesus was always existing, that nothing was brought into being without him bringing it into being. And he says that he is the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's, that's already pretty fine, but he underlines the whole thing in such a beautiful way. He starts his introduction to his gospel to his account of Jesus, by repeating the very first words ever written in Scripture that we find in, in order in our Bible, that is. Okay? In the beginning. In the beginning. That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. John has very deliberately used... Okay, he's, he's using Greek... Uh, and he's saying a Hebrew thing, but in Greek. But he's saying the same thing in the beginning. He wants you to understand and underline that there is a link between who Jesus is and the Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. In the beginning, John takes you straight there, in the beginning, whatever spoke into being, it was the Logos that was doing the speaking. But more than just connecting his conclusions about creation to Jesus, consider that the word he uses to describe who Jesus is eternally is logos, word. God spoke his logos, his word, and matter came into being. He spoke his word and the physical world took its form. He spoke his word and the word was powerful, powerful enough to generate everything that we see. Every piece of matter, every bit of energy in this universe. That's how powerful the Logos is. Are you still with me? Good. I'm just going to fly through a few of these. Listen to this. And God said, let there be light. 
And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky that separate night from day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Our image, our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our one God, three in one. There's power in his word. And then I said that we would see something of his intention really early on. If, if logos can mean intention, can we see God's intentions early in scripture where yes, because we can see how he creates. And, and when he creates man, he creates mankind in his image. Not, don't, don't confuse this and think that that means that you're kind of on the same level. You, you bear his image, he's still God. And Jesus doesn't just bear his image, Jesus is his image. There's a massive difference there. We bear his image, Jesus is his image. Okay? But his intention, go to, if you've got your Bible, just go open up to Genesis 3 and chapter 21. Now, 3 is probably the saddest set of verses ever written in the history of mankind. Because God creates us to be perfect in a perfect world where sickness, where death, where pain, where struggle, where toil do not exist. But we brought those to life by being rebellious to him. And now we see God's intention because Adam and Eve, you know the story, and they've, they've eaten the fruit, and it doesn't say that it's an apple, by the way. <laughs> they've eaten the fruit, their eyes are open, they realise they're seeing things like almost like God sees them and they're doing the exact thing they were told not to do and they recognise instantly that they are naked. Now that nakedness, yeah, I know there's a lot of naturists or naturalists, I can never remember which is which. One of them takes their clothes off, one of them doesn't, hopefully. But <laughs> naturists, it is naturists, isn't it? But they obviously think there's nothing to be ashamed about with your body and I would agree with that, although modesty is a good concept, okay. But they're realising, they're not just saying that they're naked as in that they don't have clothes, because Primark hasn't been invented at that point, they don't know what clothes are. They're realising that they are spiritually naked. Now you've had one of those dreams, I'm sure, where you've been at work, and you've suddenly realised as you're working away that you're just completely starkers, and you, you just like get embarrassed really quickly. If you haven't had one of those dreams, I, I pray you never do, because it's the worst kind of dream that you could possibly have you wake up in sweats. Because I'm like, no, I don't want everyone to see my body. But imagine if everyone could see my spiritual shame fully. That would be worse. And they try to cover it up by getting fig leaves. I mean, fig leaves are sizable, but fig leaves. I mean, come on. That's not going to protect you in the rain. Honestly, God does something incredible here and it reveals 
his intention for mankind right here. Verse three, uh, chapter 3, 21, it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. This is packed with intention. He's covering their shame. Where else do you see that? Clearly in scripture, when you link that to the Logos. He's literally covering their shame. And, and the covering that he gives them to cover their shame is so much better than the way they try to cover their shame. Stronger. Like leaves will rot away. But the skin dried and stretched will last and last and last. His covering is better than the way they try to cover their own shame. See the impact of that in your life this morning. Because however you're trying to cover your own shame, he's going to do it better. But it gets even better than that. Because you don't get skin without death. Right here in Genesis 3, God sacrifices to cover the shame of his people. From this point on, there's a, a complex sacrificial system that, that runs right up until the destruction of the temple where, where you have different sacrifices for different things, even different types of sin. And, and there are sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. And they have to be repeated and repeated and repeated because they're not efficient enough. And the, the blood of bulls and the blood of, of, of sheep and the blood of doves and things like that, it can't cover the shame, the, the, the sin that has been brought into our lives. It can't cover it. It, it can temporarily, temporarily at that point mask it, but it, it, it's not sufficient. So we carry on trying to cover our own shame, albeit appointed by God, but then God says, here's my son, the Lamb of God, the one who is the perfect Lamb without blemish who can take the sin of the world once for all who or what could be our sacrificial covering for sin has to be human because the problem started in humans but there's never been a human that's existed since Adam that has been perfect that has been able to complete the law, to fulfill everything in it. Every single living human being from that point on, very telling thing, later in Genesis it says that, that Seth was born in Adam's image. In other words, Seth was born with that tainted sin in his life. And from there on, we've all been tainted by the same cancerous sin in our lives. And we need a man to be able to deal with it, but no man has been perfect enough. So we need God to deal with it. So we need one who is fully God and fully man. You know, in the law, God literally gave us the blueprints to salvation. If you can obey and adhere to every law that is written through those law books in the Old Testament, if you can obey everyone without fail, including the ones that pertain to the heart, then there's a blueprint to salvation, but you can't do it. 
You need the perfect Hebrew. You need the perfect Jew to be able to fulfill that on your behalf. But he's not just fulfilling it on your behalf. He has to become that covering to cover your shame. Has to be a man. Has to be God. And finally, let's have a little look. Go back to John 1. We'll look at a little diversion back to verse 4 of John 1. What's the first thing that God speaks into creation, by the way? Let there be light. Now compare that with verse 4 of John 1. It says, in him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if I thought about this, I'd just get someone to flick all the lights off right now. I'm not going to do that, because it's too complex, isn't it? If all the lights were completely eradicated from this room, so we were in pitch dark, and I lit one match, would you be able to see me? Because light pushes away the darkness. And what the darkness will do when light comes is it will try and find places to hide behind the shadows. The brighter the light, the bigger the illumination, the more the darkness is pushed back. And Jesus is the light of all mankind to push back all of our darkness. So, in creation, God speaks light into being, or does he just speak light? Because Jesus isn't created, he's God. But if Jesus is light when he opens his mouth and speaks, that everything that comes out is going to be light. And if Jesus is truth, then when he speaks and opens his mouth, that everything comes out will be true. He's the light of men. So here we have Jesus, the Logos, who contains life in his being, and that life is identified for all of us, and the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus, the pre-existing, co-eternal, King of kings, the Lord of lords, stepped into flesh. This is historically certain that Jesus lived. It can't be argued with that this man, Jesus, lived. But he also died. Again, can't be argued with. Where the argument comes is whether he was resurrected or not, but there were over 500 people. How do you make conspiracy like that? Over 500 people see him raised to life. He dies and becomes the ultimate covering for our sin and our shame. He's the fulfillment of the insufficient sacrificial system and law system. He had to be a man, but he had to be a perfect man. And to do that, to fulfill all the requirements, he also had to be God, fully God, fully man. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel Look, I'm going to wrap up. We were intended to be perfectly in relationship with him and we broke our side of the deal. And we ignored him and we chose our own way and then we, we despaired because the result of our decisions led to the most horrendous of consequences. We were praying for people who were ill today, including a young girl. That's a, that's a consequence. It's not right. But it's a consequence of sin. That, that wouldn't have been in the world before Adam and Eve fell. 
But Jesus is going to cover that. He's going to make creation right again. And we'll see that with the, the one who is and is to come as far as in the next couple of weeks. He's there to reveal what hides in the shadows of your life. Don't be afraid of that. He's, he's there to deal with the darkness by lighting the beacon. And, and, and he's there to destroy the fear of the unknown. Because he can be known. The eternal Jesus underpins everything. The false teaching in this area has no value whatsoever in securing your forgiveness and salvation. Only in Christ. Mm-hmm. Only in Christ can you have that covering to cover your sin and your shame, to pay the price. He literally is the good news. Jesus literally is the gospel. He's the Christos. He's the Messiah. And why have I spent so long outlining that today? And I, I'm just going to ask the team to come back up now, if that's right. right just you, Leslie. <laughs> if you could come up. <laughs> if you work in a bank, you're, you're taught to detect forgeries, not, not by getting accustomed to the forgeries, but you're actually taught by, by handling the real thing so much that you're so familiar with the real thing that any forgery that comes through, however clever it is, however close it is, is clear to you as a forgery. There are religions out there that are very close forgeries of Christianity. You're not going to be able to stand against that by learning all about their forgery. You will get the ability to detect it, stand against it by knowing Jesus and getting to know him better. Not just in that he's in my heart and I love him, although that's really important, but know him, learn about him, discover him, read into this stuff, ask him, Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal in my heart the truth fullness of who Christ is and why that is so important. Can we just pray?